Hello, and welcome to Black Magic Treehouse, the podcast where your best Halloween pranks turn out to just be a dream. My name is Jose, and with me is my gracious co-host, Eric. Put down your tea and say hello, Eric. I am Eric. Hello. Yeah, and what did you say the flavor of that tea was? It sounded like a soda. I think it's wild black cherry tea, uncaffeinated, or D. Whoa. I don't think it was D because that would imply that it was removed, right? I think it just is caffeine free. Sure. Uh the world of caffeine is is a mystery to me. I for the most part happily remain outside its borders. Uh it is it has not yet claimed me, even in its tea form. Um I really only drink it when uh when I'm sick. Um it's the Hall of Ween. So are we like excited about that or how do you feel? It is the Halloween. Uh I'm pretty excited. Pretty pretty darn excited. Uh we decorated the treehouse with some nice orange string lights and there's a cute little Halloween advent felt calendar thing that uh we were bestowed and it's adorable and uh, I think it's going to make the season feel uh, merry and bright. How about you? Advent. Uh, so the only thing I know about Advent is like you open it up and in like Harry Potter's butthole or whatever, there's like <laughs> chocolate. What is, is that what it is? It's just like candy for every day or something? Uh, so that is tra- what the traditional Advent calendar is. Um, I might have been grossly misappropriating the term to describe what is basically a wall decor uh it's like a big felt calendar and it's got this cute little adorable felt ghosty on a string that you take and all the days of the month are little pockets and you take the little ghosty and you tuck them in the pocket for the first of october and then you move them over to the second day of october until you get to halloween um you could put you could theoretically put something in the pockets, uh, but we haven't. It's our first year with it. We're, you know, just trying to see where this relationship goes. We don't want to commit too heavily so early on. Well, that sounds adorable. Speaking of pockets, that kind of sounds like the word podcast. And that's what we're doing <laughs> now. And Black Magic Treehouse is the podcast where we talk about the horror media that we used to consume as children who were. Uh, had a burgeoning love of all things spooky within our dark little livers. Um, what are we talking about today, Ho- Jose? Well, uh, in episodes past, we have been focusing a lot on books, things that we read as kids. And uh, spoiler alert, our focus will probably be re... re... <laughs> Our focus will be Lining, returning. Chicken. Yeah, yeah. Our focus will be returning to that in future episodes. But since this is a very special time of year, uh, the spirit of the Halloween, as you mentioned, we wanted to train our sights on some Halloween specials, as it were. TV specials. They're things we watched on television as kids. Is this coming through clear? Yeah. Well, you know, originally when I, I think I'm the one who suggested that we do Halloween specials and then neither of us wound up. I think of a special as like a one-off, like the Paul Lind Halloween special, which we <laughs> reminisced about a couple of weeks ago as we were looking through our old uh, blog materials. Um, and we both wound up choosing 
Halloween themed episodes of TV shows. So sort of broke the premise a little bit, but also I couldn't really think of that many one-off Halloween specials, except for like, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yeah. I think the term is pretty much accepted by the mainstream public as the big umbrella under which both of those things reside. Uh, So whether it's like a one-off or variety show um, or the Halloween themed episode of a uh, continuing series, I I think both people have come to accept both of those things as meaning a Halloween special, uh, which is fine with me because the more the merrier. Well, one thing that I wanted to say, um, we talked, I don't remember if it was on, well, it was on mic because that's the only way we talk to each other at all. I don't remember if we were recording or not when we were talking about how um, 90s commercials or maybe early aughts oh. commercials uh, are a big hit of gooey nostalgia for both of us. Um, I wanted to bring up a couple of Halloween commercials that I remember that really set oh, the mood nice. for this time of year, just as like a little mini, I don't know, uh, aperitif. What does that mean? I don't remember. It was an episode of the television show Hannibal, I think. Uh, what I mean is appetizer. Um, <laughs> and uh, and a then conversation you can starter, the if same. you will. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the I remember they used to have like themed Reese's commercials, uh, <clears throat> where they would have like a different. You, I guess it was usually a celebrity, but sometimes maybe it was just like you know, somebody's improv one-on-one character that would be like, they would tell you about how they eat a Reese's and it would be themed to like, I remember, I don't remember if it was actually Paul Hogan or just an Australian guy, (laughs) but they had one where the guy like, I'll take, I take a bite now. And then he would like take a bite and leave like a little U shape uh, of the Reese's and then he threw it in the air and then it came back like a boomerang and then he would catch it and say, and save the rest for later. Uh, and then the slogan was, there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's. Um, but the one, the Halloween one that I remember, and it might've even been in black and white was where two, uh, I don't remember what the voiceover was saying, but it was a vampire, somebody doing a bad Bella Lugosi impersonation. And then like two holes appeared, like exposing the peanut butter underneath, Mm. uh, like it was a vampire bite. And probably he was talking about how he likes sucks out the peanut butter or whatever. Our count eats a Reese's peanut butter cup. I like to eat the peanut butter first. <laughs> There's no wrong way to eat a Reese's. Um, so that's one. <laughs> and then the other one was Mr. Pizza. And Mr. Pizza was basically, if anybody remembers, Mr. Bill from back in the days of SNL, or maybe you just remember Mr. Pizza and had no idea that it was a reference to something. Um, exactly. And I'm, yeah. And, uh, there was some kind of commercial where he had to go through a haunted house or whatever. I guess I didn't have as much to say about that one as I thought I did. <laughs> so two, two things, um, about both of those, uh, one, this may be a controversial remark, but I'm going to make it anyway. I, f- I feel of all the name brand candies, I personally, I mean, maybe it just comes down to the wrapper, but I feel like Reese, Reese's, Reese's, however you say it, uh, personally, 
I feel like that's the most Halloween candy. And yeah, like I said, it could be the packaging. It's orange and yellow and it's black. it's like orange and black kind of? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but I feel like also the candy itself, uh, the idea behind it being, oh, two great tastes that taste great together. Certainly not an allegory about our political system, am I right? No, I'm lost on that one. <laughs> I avoided making eye contact while I waited for the sound to catch up with Jose. Wise decision. Uh, but uh, yeah, I feel like, you know, just the candy itself, you know, peanut butter, it has the connotation of uh, peanut butter jelly sandwiches, this comforting food that you used to eat as your while you, you were a kid. And, you know, Halloween has particular significance when you are a kid i don't know i feel like i'm getting very heady about a piece of candy but there's just something about it that kind of sure. warmth the kind of warmth uh and i guess i'm also biased because full disclosure i don't really like any candy reese's is the only one that i enjoy so i guess that's why i'm oh. bestowing so much so much clout uh to it right now but yeah let it be known i think reese's so did you go trick-or-treating then as a kid or? yeah yeah, I went trick-or-treating. Did you just think like, well, that's not worth it because I'll get all kinds of candy and only like one of them? Yeah, but I would just like fork it over to my sisters or my mom or just kind of leave it and, you know, leave it up for grabs oh. for whoever wanted it. Um, and, you know, like as a kid, there were a couple other things that I thought were okay. Like I liked Skittles, you know, like kind of the, the fruity candy. Um but yeah, for the most part, I didn't like it that much. And especially now, it's it's pretty much the only name brand candy that I'll eat uh, under duress. Um, anywho, so that's one thought. The second thought was, um, yeah, no, I have vivid memories of Mr. Pizza, especially that commercial, because I think it's cropped up a fair amount of times in those YouTube Halloween uh, Halloween commercial compilations that <laughs> I watched to... to you know, uh, soothe myself in times of need. Uh, and yeah, it's like, he's, I think there was actually, um, I think there was actually some kind of, uh, tie in with goosebumps, if I'm not mistaken with a uh, pizza hut in general. And like in this episode where, Oh, Mr. Pizza's going to the graveyard and Oh no, he got trapped in the mausoleum. I feel like there was also some kind of promotion to goosebumps tied into it somehow, which, you know, could be the case because of the mm. whole book it program that Pizza Hut had. Um, right. Which, talk, speaking of staples of childhood, did you ever, like, get a Pizza Hut reward? Were were you all at, at all into that as a, as a kid? The oh, whole sure. AR? Yeah? Okay. Yep. Cool. Well, say. that's the end of that story. <laughs> it's the Pizza Head Show. Hey, everybody. I'm on my way to Pizza Hut to get a Goosebumps Kids Pack. Almost there. Hey, this isn't the right way. Well, Scarecrow Steve says it is. He's no Scarecrow. Sure he is. Uh-oh, I think I woke the neighbors. Look, Pizza Head, you'll be perfectly safe in there. Uh, okay. Relax, the Goosebumps guys just want you for dinner. See you in the next lifetime. Now you can collect one of three ghoulish Goosebumps glow-and-tell story card sets and you buy a Pizza Hut Kids Pack. As far as any commercials that I remember, um, not, not so much commercials that I think I remember watching as a kid. I just remember really, really getting pumped up 
for like um from channel specific promotions so for instance <laughs> i remember on nickelodeon i remember like seeing stick stickly inside his little room and like the lights go off and he's and he's kind of a mr bill character himself or a mr pizza character himself however you prefer it um and i just remember oh the lights go off and sticks there and he's like oh boy halloween on nickelodeon ah. um and what was the oh i loved i absolutely loved um all like the kind of uh i don't know did they, if did they call it was Monster Fest the name of the show on TNT, or was that what the the marathon on AMC was called? I'm 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 talking about the one on AMC. Was that Monster Fest or? I get them confused. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Was one of them possibly Madness? No, I don't think so. But well, in any well, case, I'm out of ideas. <laughs> Yep, that's it. All right, end of the podcast. We're done here. Um, no, I just remember one year where they had like, uh, you know, it was like kind of a, a quick little clip show commercial of like, oh, here's all the movies you can look forward to seeing this October. And I remember sitting on the couch uh, with my grandmother and as it was going on and as the, you know, the, the promotion wrapped up, I was literally cackling like a little mad scientist myself i was just so viscerally excited <laughs> for the fact that like uh all these movies that i had either already seen or like the sequels that i had not yet seen were just gonna be like on the tv it seemed like all day every day and it just filled me with such joy this year amc's monster fest features one of the greatest collections of classic monsters ever but we'll let the stars speak for themselves amc's monster fest the classics come alive the five-day marathon continues well it's funny because the whole idea of this was to do like what are the the episodes or the specials that you like look forward to every year when you were a kid when Halloween was around the corner uh like what were you looking for in the TV guide and as i said i wound up drawing a complete blank about like man what did i used to watch or look forward to and i wound up saying um hey arnold because hey arnold i remember having a number of like spooky episodes uh, and then you reminded me like, well, none of those were actually Halloween episodes. There was an episode that they did called Halloween or Arnold's Halloween. And I was like, I don't think I've seen that one. Well, let's do it anyway. And that's the story of how I chose Arnold's Halloween. And here we are. Uh, do you have any general did you watch hey arnold as a kid oh yes oh yes um it was a favorite then and it's uh it's a favorite now i watch we rewatched. it feels like the series but it was probably maybe just the first couple seasons um before we had kids so or eh, some somewhere within the last five years five or six years ago uh, we took in this episodes and um, I was very pleased to see that uh, it was not a show that was like, Oh, well 
I can see why I liked this as a kid, but it's lost some of its luster. I feel like that's a show that just kind of grows uh, in in its emotional heft, frankly, um, the older that you get, because it really was quite poignant in many of its episodes in ways that you might not have appreciated as a kid, kind of like how we were talking about with um, some episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's a fantastic show. Um, well, speaking of poignancy, it did have probably, I might rank it as my number one Christmas episode. Oh of yeah. All time, as we were talking about Christmas episodes, I, I, uh, definitely watch it every Christmas. Um, but what was I going to say? Oh, another aspect of the show that is unusual in addition to being, or I guess that facilitates the ensemble nature of it is that it's an urban show. It takes place in, I don't know if they ever, do they ever explicitly say what city? It's clearly supposed to be New York. I always thought that was the case. Um, I especially remember um, my grandparents watching episodes with me, my grandmother in particular, and her kind of... um, you know, laughing and recognition of certain things. And uh, both of my grandparents, my mother's parents, were were, uh, born and raised in New York. So based on that, I kind of always assumed that was the case. But I feel like I heard something crazy, (laughs) you know, that it was like, oh, it's actually New Jersey. Or maybe even I heard Chicago at some point. And I'm like, no, those are both completely wrong answers. It cannot be right. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe it's supposed to be like a lot of times shows want to do like amalgamation cities cause they don't want to be restricted by like the strict architecture, or whatever. So maybe it's supposed to be like a cross between New York and Chicago or right. something. Yes. It, it sits a lot better with me as an adult because I think when I was a kid, I was like scared of cities. <laughs> we live like an hour away from Chicago. And every time we went up to Chicago, I was like, we're going to get bugged. Uh, uh, and I just thought it like, it's like, uh, it's smelly and noisy and there's too many people here. Um, so watching it as an adult, uh, I think I can sort of like in the same way that I have a nostalgia for the area that I grew up in, which was the suburbs. Um, I can see how like part of the character of the city and it's kind of griminess, which comes through in the show is like for somebody who grew up in the city that probably is part of the nostalgia is like oh yeah the snow is just always dirty or whatever yeah playing you know stickball in the middle of the streets you know car uh that that kind of deal anyway should we talk about the hair on halloween special which uh you did not have a chance to catch up on prior to recording this episode but it's a pretty basic premise so i'm sure you remember the gist of it i do remember the gist in that the whole uh gimmick is that it is a play uh on orson welles 1938 broadcast of war of the worlds which according to urban legend was said to have panicked hundreds if not thousands of people and cause them to run into the streets and pack up their bags and shoot the dog because they thought that Martians had truly invaded New Jersey. Uh, 
and that they were just so scared out of their minds when in reality, you know, I, and I only learned this as an adult cause you know, I was made aware of the story as a kid. Like I think via my, my grandfather, it was like, wow, that sounds crazy. Granddad, um, come to find out it's like maybe a dozen people got a little spooked. <laughs> uh, yeah. and it wasn't like this widespread madness in the streets, you know, purge level activity. <laughs> Yeah, people weren't just ripping each other's faces off. <laughs> exactly. But I know that was the gimmick where I need you to fill in the to connect the dots for me is what prompted the kids to do this? Because it's the kids who are putting on this Halloween charade. What what was the impetus behind their their prankery? Um, it's because sorry, I have to keep clearing my throat. Um the adults are all so busy setting up uh, their own like Halloween for themselves that they're completely neglecting Arnold and Gerald, uh, who just want to go trick or treating. I think all the parent. Um, well, I don't know what happened. Do we know what happened to Arnold's parents? By the way, are they dead? Uh, so I've heard <laughs> were they killed in a mugging? Yeah. Wow. Full circle. Uh. <laughs> I I have heard that those details are divulged in the uh, the movie that came out a handful of years ago. Um, oh, okay. yeah. So, short answer, yes, I think so. But at this point in the series, we we do not know. Yeah, well, his his Arnold's grandmother is a, a bit of a a wacky sack. Um, so I think she just generally can't be depended on for anything because she's off being kooky somewhere. And I think Grandpa's. Uh, just so obsessed with like wanting to get the house right and giving out the candy and everything that he will not indulge the child's interest in, you know, going out and having a fun Halloween. So Arnold and Gerald collude to stage the war of the world's style prank um, from the rooftop to get back at them. And then uh, it's funny the way it unfolds because he tells the rest of the kids to dress as aliens because they're all debating about they're all sitting around in the, I think the baseball field that they make in that one episode that's in like the vacant lot. Mm -hmm. Um, They're all sitting around debating what they should go as for Halloween. And then Arnold's like, "Uh, why don't you guys all dress up as aliens and then come over to my house. But he doesn't tell them um, that it's because he wants his, all the adults to get freaked out when they see aliens. So setting them up for some horrible peril (laughs) With from uh, armed adults chasing them around in a state of hysteria. Wow, Arnold, how duplicitous of you! That's I'm I'm surprised, young man. Well, it gets pretty dark because well, I guess I can go through it sort of chronologically. Um, so Arnold and Gerald are up on the roof staging the with Gerald doing the uh, announcer voice through like a megaphone in reverse, or not a megaphone, but like what do you call the one that's not electronic, where it's just like a big cone thing. Bullhorn? Um, he's talking into that and in... possibly. Now I'm just going to think about that for several seconds and not say anything. Perfect. Um, but anyway, like they always use in like old silent football movies, like Harold Lloyd comedies or whatever. Anyway, uh, so they're up, they're on the roof staging that and then the adults get wind of it. Uh, I mean, they hear it on the radio and we cut over to Helga's house where her father is talking about how, 
or he maybe he's in a bar or something. I didn't take very good notes for this. Uh, and I watched it several days ago. But it comes out that he used to be like a truck driver. And he was like in, I think they say North Carolina, or maybe it's North Dakota. He's on like a rural road somewhere. And he has an encounter where like his truck starts to like float up into the air, like, you know, the classic UFO light shines on him and then he like jumps out of his truck and it like gets beamed up into a ufo and disappears so that's his story so he's primed to uh believe that the earth is under invasion and then um all the kids come around dressed as aliens the adults all get hysterical and start chasing them around grandpa's like oh we better go save your friends short man uh and they like run around trying to to uh, convince the other adults. And then they, the kids have dressed up the water tower with a bunch of lights to make it look like the UFO that's landed. And this is all being um, investigated by a guy whose name I didn't write down, but he's a guy with like a pencil mustache who hosts a program called, did I write it down? Yes. Because in the opening, um, Arnold and Gerald are watching the Z files. If you can imagine what that could be a parody of. And then UFO tonight comes on and it's Maurice LaMarche doing his Orson Welles slash the brain voice uh, talking about. And then, so he's the guy who like comes to the, to like he's driving around in his truck, talking to people on the radio, um, looking around for, uh, aliens to get on camera so anyway do you have anything to interject at this point well as you mentioned the character it it immediately jogged the memory of like i think that's maurice lamarch doing orson wells uh which came out in a way that now i need to now i need to turn my brain off (laughs) because poor word choice um, I wasn't listening because I was looking at my notes. So uh, it'll be fun for me to discover when I'm editing the episode what you said. Yes. It's UFO Tonight with your host, Douglas Kane. UFO Tonight? I love this show! UFOs. Flying saucers. They loom large in the imagination, but indeed, do they exist? We now know that this Earth is watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. We are scrutinized and studied. This small, spinning fragment of solar driftwood. As your host and reporter and writer and producer, I will be your guide on your quest to make contact on UFO Tonight. Um, oh, one thing that I did make a note of, though, was at one point, Grandpa, when he's being all dismissive of Arnold, he said, Halloween is a serious business, and it's not for kids. And then they do the rim shot as if this is like some, you know, Catskill comedian street joke or something. Time for our meeting about the annual boarding house Halloween party. Hey, Grandpa, can Gerald and I help out this year? Oh, no, Arnold. Halloween is a serious business and it's not for kids. And I was like, I'm not sure what the punchline is there. I guess just that Halloween's not for kids is funny. That (laughs) is not really rim shot funny, is it? Yeah. No, that could have just have easily been, you know, like Arnold kind of looking at the camera and, you know, Jim from the office fashion, like, 
seriously. When I said that the episode does get surprisingly uh, dark, um, the so the kids dressed as aliens, which includes Helga and uh, Harold and, you know, all the other ones, um, it, it comes up like, why can't we get this? Like, they try to pull their costumes off and they try to rub the paint off. And then it is, uh, Harold says that I got the one that was like permanent latex paint because I knew we were going to be out all night. So that's how they justify why the kids can't just take off the costumes and say, Hey, we're kids. Um, but at the end, Helga's dad like picks up Helga, like the alien that he thinks or the, you know, he thinks she's, she's an alien and he's like, he's like seriously comes like really close to just like snapping her neck. Nobody move. I've got your repulsive little leader. Dad, it's me, Helga. Huh. You do sound like Helga. Oh, it's happening. My worst fear. The aliens are taking over my mind. You're gonna pay for this. This is astonishing. A large hulking man is about to wring the alien leader's scrawny neck. But now, an odd, football-headed boy seems to be trying to stop him. Stop! It really is Helga! Not now, kid! I'm saving the world! And then, uh, the deus ex machina is... I forget how, but somehow the water tower... Uh, I think maybe they, like, shoot the water tower because they think it's the UFO. And then all the water spills out and starts, and, like, starts, uh, washing the paint off. And that's basically the end of the episode. That's funny. I thought it was that um, it starts to rain, but I guess uh, sh- a shot water tower is, is much more dramatic. Maybe it does start to rain, and I just thought in my head it would make more sense to pay off that this is the water. I don't know. No, you but could in be, any event, you could, water, you could be water right. comes down upon the characters. Heavenward. In some from fashion. Heavenward, yes. From, yeah. I remember about the costumes specifically that they have like um, Mars attack brain sacks on their head. Like they have big mm-hmm. brains kind of hanging off their skulls. And I feel like that's how. Um, yeah, how, big wobbly. How, yeah. And it like kind of jello-y. I've, I've, I remember the, the moment of like Helga uh, Helga's dad picking her up and i feel like he like grabs her by the brain first and just kind of yanks her up off the ground but maybe that's that's just uh me uh imprinting on the episode on what actually happens in the episode uh but yeah i remember the brains i remember the makeup not being able to come off um the minute you mentioned the thing about harold it's like oh yeah that 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 is why um but yeah overall i remember it as kind of being it's kind of interesting because it's like, oh, that's Arnold's Halloween episode. And in comparison, it's d- despite the little moment of darkness that you mentioned at the end there, it feels in in my mind's eye, in my memory, it feels like it's just generally more wholesome, a little more safe and kind of uh, classic as far as it's like allusions to the whole War of the Worlds urban legend compared to like the other spooky episodes from the series which were gen- uh generally like more traumatic in their images and the events mm. that unfolded do you do you feel the same uh yeah well because when i when we talked about the one that i remembered mostly is the one where the kid whose name this is 
some, I know you love the show. Some of the weakness of the writing is that one of the kids is named Stinky. Yeah. <laughs> hey, he's it, the kid who has the Southern accent. <laughs> it's not bulletproof. It's a great show, but nothing is bulletproof. Um, there's an episode where they're, and it's, I guess it's not Halloween related at all. It's just an episode where they like a totally canonical episode where they are like trying to figure out if he's a vampire or not. And then at the end, it's revealed that like, yep, he is. He's got teeth and he's going to sleep in his coffin. <laughs> uh, I, I don't uh, remember too many details from that episode aside from the ending where, you know, in his nasally southern laugh, you know, it's, I feel like there must have been lightning flashing. He was like, nah, <laughs> and it's never addressed again. <laughs> yeah. So yes, compared to canonically introducing the idea that one of the permanent <laughs> cast members is indeed a, a supernatural entity, I guess this episode is pretty tame, but it's fun. Um, I watched it with my girlfriend, and there's a moment where Grandpa opens the door to the trick-or-treaters. Oh, you all look so adorable. Why don't you help yourself to some worms and cockroaches? And then Dana started laughing like, I don't know, like she just saw a man's pants fall down or something. She was really into that joke. Well, yeah, because it's like genuine worms and cockroaches. It's not like some some coy trick where it's like, oh, actually spaghetti. Yeah, it's not like little gummies or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it really does speak to, you know, Grandpa's commitment to the holiday uh, as the character. Where he's like, And yeah, I feel like I remember that where, you know, the kids run off screaming and he's just like, well, well, well what do you expect? It's Halloween. It's like, they expect candy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me go through the rest of my notes because I really don't have that much to say about the episode and then we can move on to yours and keep this, you know, under 90 minutes this episode. Um do, 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 do. <laughs> watching it as adult, it's extremely obvious that Helga's mom is an alcoholic just from the way she talks and or maybe even she's on some hard drugs or something. She's, yeah. She's just like super like lethargic and just has like no energy and no no peaks and valleys in her emotions, just like uh Harold. Or her husband's name isn't Harold, whatever his name is, but <laughs> She's just like Bob, almost asleep big Bob all the time. Yeah. Bob, <laughs> which is part of that darkness that I was talking about. Yeah. That as an, as a kid, it just made me feel like, Ooh, I don't like the way this makes me feel. And as an adult, I'm like, well, some kids probably saw their own parents in this. Yeah. And you know, uh, the case could potentially be made just as with the mother, you know, just assuming that Bib, Big Bob Pataki is the kind of guy who probably slaps back at least a handful of beers after he gets home from the beeper store. Uh, and I, uh, with regards to Helga's mother, I remember the episode when you were talking about that just now where um, Bob suffers some kind of accident, you know, like he breaks his leg or something and he can't work anymore. So he's at home and then Helga's mom has to become the breadwinner. And you just, she like, the whole premise of the episode is that she gets so involved in her work that, you know, whereas Helga 
wasn't crazy about the way her mom was before. She feels even more neglected now because her mom doesn't have time for her anymore. You know, she's just like on the phone at all hours of the day, giving, you know, Helga the finger to wait, you know, hold on. Um, But the fact that she gets so animated, uh, Helga's mother gets so animated because she's had some kind of purpose (laughs) restored to her life, you know, really registers, like you said now, especially... You know, in light of how she is and at all other times when we see her in the show, it's like, oh, that's it's like, oh, when you see it as a kid, it's like, oh, man, you know, look at her mom just getting so wrapped up in her job. I know what that's like. But in light of what things were like for her before that and after that, it's like, oh, God, that's that's so sad. Boy, I feel like I had a thought while you were talking. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was waiting to get out. No, no, it's not your fault me being an idiot yeah uh oh i remember what i was gonna say uh yes i was gonna say that i have i have some notes for hey arnold in terms of like there are a lot of aspects of it that i think are kind of derivative um but i will say i think the character like the most original uh aspect of the whole thing is the character of helga um she's just such an interesting character like Arnold's kind of boring. Gerald is the best friend. You know, like everybody's like such an archetype, mm-hmm. but she has like a real like internal life as a character that really transcends what you tend to see on uh, on shows aimed at kids. And it's not always happy either. Uh, do you have anything to say about Helga or should I move on? It's just for the sake of like recording and making it sound like it's an active conversation. Yes. Great. All right. Uh, My other note was the adults have bleak lives. Uh, The bullhorn that Gerald was talking into says, go figs. I thought (laughs) figs was a funny name for presumably a sports team. Um, And the license plate on grandpa's car reads heap. And uh, that's, that's Arnold's Halloween. Well, thank you for getting those last minute notes in there. Um, I'm not sure how our estimation of this particular Halloween special. I can't imagine how bereft it would have been had we not included those. So thank you. I want to give a full round contoured experience to the listener. Not unlike a a photograph of a butt. Yes. So do you want to talk about (laughs) Steve now? Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was like, do I have a cheeky remark for that? I was, I was <laughs> it eluded me in the moment. I guess I could do some kind of like rating or something. Um, I like the episode. I would give it an eight out of 10. An eight out of 10. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Um, just like I said, I haven't seen it for years now. Um, but like I said, I feel like this one in comparison to some of the, well, of course, just, other episodes of Hey Arnold in general, but uh, specifically the spooky flavored ones. I feel like um, this one is kind of middle of the road. It's just like, it's fine. I would give it a retrospective rating of like six, maybe five. Hmm. So take that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, (laughs) they can't all be steve 
No, they can't all Transition. be Stevel. Transition. So, yes, if that name means anything to our listeners, uh, for my half of this Halloween special special, Eric mentioned before that uh, the the prompt that we were going with initially was to look back at the Halloween specials that we looked forward to as kids, the ones that we liked, the ones that kind of heralded the season uh, and brought us joy, so on and so forth. Um, but we both ended up picking things that didn't really represent that. We went off book. We didn't understand the assignment, our very own assignment, and we just went with it. So Eric picked something that he didn't never act- he never actually saw <laughs> as a kid, and I picked something that I did see as a kid, uh, but I can tell you that as a kid seeing this, I in no way wanted to see it again <laughs> or wanted it to be any part of my life ever again. So in that way, I uh, this episode is not a good representative of our original prompt. That episode being, of course... Stevel from season eight, 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 season eight. I thought so. Season eight of Family Matters. Season eight, episode seven. Season eight, episode seven. Famously, so Family Matters. Um, the penultimate season, you might say. Yes, indeed, the penultimate season. So, uh, I actually just watched these episodes spoiler alert there's two of them um i watched these episodes immediately prior to our recording um so suffice to say a lot of the details are fresh for better or worse uh one of the things that i noticed is that um season eight this episode debuted in october of 1996 so when I saw it, it would not have been that original airing. It wouldn't. It would have been a rerun, because by the time I saw this episode, we were in our second house uh, here in Florida after our move from Long Island, and by that time, uh, it would have been uh, Halloween time of first or second grade. Uh, in 1996, I would have been five, so it wasn't, uh, it definitely wasn't when I was in kindergarten. Would have been a little bit older, so the following year or the one after. And it's kind of funny uh-huh. um, how these things work with nostalgia. Certain things are within the sphere of our actual experience, and things kind of fall outside of that, like, I feel like this is something that I saw or this was just kind of like in the air at the time I was this age. But when it comes to me and steve it was a definite time and place that I can mark down in my diary. This was the day that I saw steve And I don't know, maybe that's not a big deal to everybody else. But I, I feel like it's um, those moments are rare, especially as you get older and you forget more things. <laughs> um, those moments are rare where you can recall, like, I remember where I was the day that this happened. So I don't know if I can say that I'm really proud that I, I remember the event <laughs> that was Stevel, um, but I do. And 
I guess at least some small part of me <laughs> takes some joy in that and that it was an actual event. Uh, it was an actual event that occurred. The date was September 11th. That Yeah. Hold on. It's not what you're thinking. It, it took place at the appropriate seasonal moment. And it was like the cliche. Just going to keep laughing at myself. You keep doing that. Uh, it was the cliche. It was just the cliche event that one imagines or like sees in movies happening to characters. Like when they, when, when they watch something scary. That's what this was for me, um, because it was at night, it was in my home, other members of my family were there in the living room, we were kind of like all watching the TV as a family, um, we were pretty, uh, collectively, we were pretty big fans of Family Matters, I would say, um, I feel like we watched it pretty regularly, uh, I know I was talking to Eric before off mic about how I have especially fond memories of any of the episodes where Urkel transformed into Stefan uh, via his little telephone booth looking transforming machine uh, with all the light bulbs along the sides. Uh, But I especially remember, and it's funny because this episode immediately follows Steve. It's the episode called Karate Kids where Steve and the two boys... I feel like one of their names is 3J. I hope I'm not remembering. I hope I'm not remembering that right. Um, And the other one, they all transform into facsimiles of Bruce Lee and scare the punks away from the local park who are hedging in on that territory. Um, And for the record, Julia White does a pretty good Bruce Lee. Um, So props to him for that. But yeah, there we... It, it was it was kind of a ritual, I think, where we would just all watch Family Matters, you know, at like 7 p.m. or whatever it was uh, in the living room. And we had a lot of fond memories attached to it. So <laughs> we watched this Halloween episode. And uh, from what I could tell, Family Matters had Halloween specials prior to this. But season eight was the season that they introduced Stevel. Stevel is or was maybe he's still alive out there somewhere who knows stevel was urkel's ventriloquist dummy and that right there should tell you everything that you need to know if this episode is for you or not Uh, because if you're someone like my wife you need only hear that phrase to know that you don't want to get anywhere near that thing and you know or touch it with a 10-foot pole um I'll pause there in my summary to have a little bit of a tangent because I know we've we have alluded to other ventriloquist dummies in previous episodes. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, Eric, because I feel like I've been talking nonstop. What 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 is your just general experience, especially when you were a kid, um, of the menace that is known as the ventriloquist dummy. There is, of course, our good friend Slappy. But like, how how did you either respond to him, since he's the example that we've mentioned before, or just kind of living dolls and, and ventriloquist dummies specifically? What what was your experience with those like? Maybe it's because of Goosebumps and Slappy being such a non-threatening character 
as my introduction to the idea of ventriloquist dummies being scary that uh, I never really was, I didn't really ever find them frightening. Um, so, you know. <laughs> I think dummies are cute. You don't? Uh, they give me the wig ever since I was little. What happened? I saw a dummy, it gave me the wig. There really wasn't a story there. No, I, I'm not afraid of them. But maybe if I had seen Family Matters Stevel before seeing Slappy, maybe I would have been. Because he's a lot scarier than Slappy ever was. And in a lot of ways he is. So unlike my poor performance and um, not reliving my memories of Arnold Halloween and uh, watching it in preparation for the episode, Eric was gracious enough as he always is to uh, indulge in this episode uh, himself so that he could comment it, <laughs> comment on it at least in equal part to anything that I had to say. Um, so that I would say is, is a distinction between the characters, but I gotta be honest with you. I mean, maybe just speaks to the fear that I had of them and to some small degree still have of ventriloquist dummies. I, I always found slappy frightening. Um, if not so much for, <laughs> you know, in the, in, in the television episodes, um, if not so much for the actions he wrought and the, and the, and what little accomplishments he had in, uh, reaching his goals of, you know, collecting souls or whatever he was after. Um, he, he just, I feel like cut a very menacing figure. And I feel like as far as most of the, you know, the, the antagonists, you know, the monsters and, um, goosebumps, at least the ones that had the ability to speak and convey their wicked desires. I feel like Slappy was one of the few who felt like he really meant business, even though he still um, traded in the really corny jokes that just seemed to be part and parcel of the ventriloquist dummy package, as steve so aptly proved in his episode. Um, well, I'm glad we put that to bed uh, <laughs> as far as your non-fear of dummies. Would you say that it's at all changed or altered since having watched Stevel for Watching the first this episode? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I see the light. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I was one surprised of, at how... Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Because there's a little warning, like Urkel gives a warning to the camera. He's like got the, I don't even know the kids' names, the stupid kids on either side of him on the couch. And he's like, this episode is going to be a little scary, uh, which I thought was just hyperbole. Little did I know it would be the most terrifying experience of my entire life. Was that hyperbole or... Yes, it was, but it was, I, I, if I had seen it as a kid, I think I would have been scared because, um, it reminded me of, you know, in the mask, when the bad guy puts on the mask and he's got like the, the deep voice and he's like suddenly a demon guy that scared me. So, and this is pretty similar territory. So if I was like six or seven, I think I would have been freaked out by family matters. And there was an episode of Hogan family too. It's another dream episode. Allegedly. Um, there's an episode of Hogan Family, which is where Jason Bateman came from, if anybody doesn't remember, which I think it was originally called Valerie's Family, because 
Valerie Bertinelli, AKA Rhoda was like, it was a vehicle for her. And then she like got fired over a contract dispute. <laughs> and, um, and then they just changed the name of the Hogan family. Cause that's showbiz. They don't care about you, you guys. Um, but there was an episode where they like stay up watching a, a zombie movie on TV. And then it's like kind of an anthology movie. It's episode itself where like every, you see everybody's uh, different zombie dreams. Um, and one of them is quite literal where it is just like everybody turning into a zombie around the main character and if you watch it as an adult, of course, it just looks like a bunch of crummy Halloween masks. Uh, but that one also scared me as a kid. So sitcoms, man, you know, they're, they're scary. Why? A treasure trove of scares, if if you know where to look. But uh, boy, are you not wrong. Because let me tell you, brother, as a six, seven-year-old watching this in the dark of my living room with my family, I was petrified. And I can't tell you if up until that point I hadn't really encountered ventriloquist dummies as just a thing uh, on TV or in the movies, because I can certainly tell you <laughs> ventriloquist dummies seem like more and more like they're things that very few of us have encountered in the wild. <laughs> in real life and they're more just like staples of filmed entertainment um you know i think m most of us could say that with absolute certainty until like jeff dunham came came into business i feel like most of us never saw like even if it was film stand-up like none of us saw dummies acting within their proper context uh it's it's always like oh they're that creepy thing that was in that one movie or that one tv show and uh, in this case that's what it definitely was for me it's funny how there are aspects of this episode steve that echo with that uh that are echoes of elements from the slappy episodes and goosebumps namely the rely and I don't want to, you know, be too, like, internet conspiracy theory, like, oh, Slappy, you know, influence steve -O, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, some things are just kind of, like, part of the general horror milieu. Uh, but I do find it kind of funny that, like, Goosebumps as a series, but, you know, especially and famously, as we mentioned in the previous episode, the reliance on lightning as kind of, like, backdrop and also narrative element uh in this episode in this case it is the thing that brings stevel to life there's kind of a storm brewing outside and urkel goes to bed like dismayed by the fact that he sucks at ventriloquism and you know not just sucks he just can't do it <laughs> um so he's like oh i wish my dummy could talk and that is the fateful wish that manifests as a bolt of lightning that shoots through the window and animates Stevel to life. <laughs> and I don't know, just it's, it's, it was, it's, it's funny thinking back now to watching that as a kid, how true that registered with me is like, yeah, a bolt of lightning that, that can bring anything to life. So, you know, seeing it unfold before my mm -hmm. eyes, it's like, 
this is absolutely correct. I mean, that's this is how Frankenstein's monster was brought to life, <laughs> and now it's bringing a dummy to life, and this all just makes sense, and it's freaking me out right now. <laughs> but yeah, a fateful bolt of lightning, and oh boy, boy, where do I start? My first thought tuning into the episode was, well, because I saw that it was episode eight. Um, and like, this is a fairly, like if you, I didn't watch Family Matters uh, growing up. So, but I knew that this was a thing. <laughs> and I think when I saw that it was season eight out of nine seasons, I was like, I'm not sure exactly when the consensus is that Family Matters jumped the shark, mm. but I bet this is after that point. Uh, and I was like, man, Jaleel White is like, he looks like he's like 25 yeah. and he's just trying desperately to maintain this Urkel character that he started playing when he was like, you know, 13 or whatever. And like the voice is just so crazy <laughs> and so grating and cartoonish. And I was like, man, I mean, you know, I, I don't fault him for that. Like, that's just what happens when you're on a successful TV show sometimes. <laughs> but I was just like, wow, we, um, this guy is really trying to pretend that he's like, I, I don't know how old he's even, he's kind of like Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. To go back to the Paul Rubens. Well, it's just like, I guess he's just supposed to be like an ageless character who will just always be thus. Yeah, that that thought crossed my mind on a little bit of a subliminal level. Um, just, you know, fleeting moments here and there where I was just kind of like peering at him and uh, saying to myself that he is probably taller than most of the people he's on screen with, but he's very consciously stooping his shoulders and kind of ducking his head down yes, just absolutely. to appear, you know. <laughs> Uh, both physically and emotionally smaller <laughs> than them. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a trip seeing that. Um, but uh, what I was going to say before is that this episode in particular, I, I, yeah, like you were saying, I can't, uh, I can't say, cause it's not like I've been reviewing the show or tracking the show in its entirety. Um, I feel like I've heard in the ether that when it come when it comes to jumping the shark, I feel like people reference this episode, and you can certainly see why. Uh, just because it, for one, seems like it is legitimately between a rock and a hard place, <laughs> between resembling the same family sitcom that it had been for ages while also at the same time really trying to tap that vein that you know movies and franchises such as child's play uh, did and and convey itself as like a legitimate scary uh and especially in the case of the first episode a legitimately scary body count story where this mad ventriloquist dummy is trying to dispense of all the members of the Winslow family and like I said at the same time that it's like frightening uh if you're a kid especially uh but awkward if you're an adult kind of like assessing it it's both those things and 
cute in the way that it's like it wants to it wants to have its cake and eat it too where it's like we you know we're we really part of us really wants to scare people when they watch this but if we're gonna have this dummy quote-unquote kill all the people in this family we have to do it in a way that's safe for the abc channel um so in some ways that's cute in other ways it makes things worse um I remember especially uh, a couple of things like rewatching this that, you know, clang the clang the nostalgia bells in like all the worst ways. Uh, it was the bolt of lightning reviving Stevel in his chair. Uh, also, the image of Stevel breaking out of the trunk, and we get that inside view of him inside the darkened trunk and his eyes open and glowing. And, you know, his little dummy mouth just clacking and laughing like, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> I remember being so scared in that moment. Like that was a true blue ducking my head into the couch cushions, wanting it to be over. Uh, and like my mother laughing at me from the other side of the room. Like, oh, it's just a show. It's okay. Um, but doing it in that way that was completely unhelpful. It's like, I'm telling you, I'm like reassuring you, but I'm also laughing at how ridiculous you're being and not making you feel better about this in any way whatsoever. Um, I was so terrified of that moment. Yeah, not helpful. Not helpful. Um, and then the first quote-unquote kill in the episode where... Stevel is in the chimney, the very cardboard looking chimney. And he calls Eddie over and he's like, Oh, I'm stuck in the chimney. And you see, <laughs> and I don't know, I, this, this literally just struck me now thinking back on it when Eddie, you know, responds and, you know, that joking succumb way. He's like, Santa? That just made me remember, like, as a kid, that just made it feel that just upset me and made it feel so wrong because it's like as a kid you, you I still believed in Santa at the time and so I'm like fully invested in this moment um you know whereas oh it's the joke for the studio audience you know him being like oh is that you Santa but me as the kid freaking out on the couch I'm like Eddie it's not Santa it's not Santa don't go to the chimney and he goes over and he gets pulled straight up the chimney by this dummy that image was so terrifying and I think for the reason that you know one it's like bloodless you don't know what just happened to Eddie but also as a kid you see that that is exactly what you imagine happening to you as a result of the monster under your bed you picture getting dragged like that and especially seeing like a character like Eddie you know played by this you know tall strapping actor get hoisted and yanked up this chimney like he's nothing by this little dummy you know I feel like as a kid I really identified with that and it just made it so much more frightening because it's like that's what I'm afraid of happening to me like all the time and if it can happen to that guy then how am I supposed to be safe like I realize as I'm saying all this just like how much trauma I have <laughs> connected to this freaking episode um uh well the Santa line I wrote down 
Eddie is at peak idiot mode. Um, and again, having never witnessed family matters before, except for like snippets, uh, I didn't really know what anybody's personality was. I was like, uh, there's a girl who he likes. who doesn't like him back. Like Lisa and Screech on Saved by the Bell. Okay, got that. And then the dad is the same guy that he's playing in Die Hard. Okay, got it. Um, but it's, you know, by the time you get to season eight of a sitcom, like whatever a character's season one persona is, they, usually the writers will just like blow that up to the nth degree because they're like, hmm, how do we make this character funny seven seasons in? I guess we have to make him the dumbest person. Like, this guy is clearly like 30 and being like, Santa, is that you? Hey, Daddy. Who said that? Help. Help me. I'm trapped in the chimney. Santa? <laughs> One down, five to go. <laughs> so yeah, at any rate, steve goes on to execute the other members of the family. Uh, I don't remember the thing with Laura. I don't remember seeing... like I, I don't think I got that as a kid. Um, and even watching it now, it's like the, the punchline, it, it gets kind of lost because you don't really... Maybe just because even as a kid, I like, okay, it's, she's standing in a cabinet. I, I don't, I, you know, because I, I guess they can't come right out and say, oh, you know, steve chopped her up and stuffed her in the cabinet, in various cabinets. Um, but, you know, the the image of her topmost half just so clearly looks like it's a regular person standing up. I don't think that really terrified me at all. I was just befuddled by it. Um and then who else? Who else? Oh yeah, like the. <laughs> so we we cut to outside the house while a three J or you know four DD whatever the little nephews or cousins or whoever the heck they are the little kids are out trick or treating. Uh, we see them riding on their bikes against you know very evident blue screen and steve is chasing them down in what is essentially a clown car um <laughs> that one is probably worse than the others because it like you know you just it just pans to steve laughing in the driver's seat and then it like fades to black and it just you know bi- business carries on as usual to the next scene and it's like okay so wait a minute did he run over those kids uh come to find out Somehow he magically transports them into the basketball poster that Urkel has hanging over his bed. Um, but once again, same as like Laura in the cabinet, it's clearly just some kids with their faces poking through some holes in the wall where the, you know, to, to line up with the poster, basically like those little photo attractions that you see at carnivals it's like all right well that's fine um the mother laura no no not laura whoops sorry um forgetting characters names harriet right harriet there it is harriet she gets transformed into a jack-in-the-box like a human-sized jack-in-the-box 
I remember that moment. I don't think that one scared me as much. That one seemed, that one was a little bit of a sedative <laughs> for all the horrors that had come before it. It's like, oh, okay, this seems kind of silly. I think I can deal with this. But then we cut to the living room, and there's what we come quickly to find out is Stevel with presumably his hand either in a gaping hole in Carl's back or up Carl's ass and controlling him like a ventriloquist dummy in a way that, you know, I, I know I said before, like, oh, did Slappy influence Stevel? Question mark. You know, watch this YouTube video for more. Um, that moment did make me wonder at least a little bit, like, did a young James Wan or a young Leigh Wannell see this episode and remember it when they were you know, working on Dead Silence, and they're like, oh, you know what would be a good twist? If one of the characters turned out to be a corpse that another character was controlling the whole time, like a ventriloquist dummy. It's like, did they watch Stevel prior to? <laughs> yeah, I made note of that also. <laughs> really? In the same way? Yep, I wrote, because uh, I, I wrote down all the kills because I didn't trust myself to remember them. Um, and yeah, I wrote Carl turned into ventriloquist dummy inspired the twist in dead silence question mark. Oh, see, there's something there. We're on to you, James Wan and Leigh Wannell. But uh, at any rate, so Carl is the final victim and what ensues is a <laughs> quite a wrestling match between oh. Urkel and the dummy. Well, before you get to that, though, yeah. uh, I told you I used as an excuse, as an excuse for why I didn't get something done a while ago. I said I was watching um, Great British Bake Off Junior or whatever it's called, the one with the kids. And why did that come up? Well, because the joke that Steve, once it's revealed that Steve was controlling Carl, um, Carl says, uh, I want to take my wife on vacation to the island. And then Stevel says, Jamaica? No, she wanted to go, which is a joke that uh, the they were making. I don't even remember what they were making on Great British, et cetera. Um, but the, the guy, the host guy was going around asking all the kids that. And one of the kids, I guess they must have been prepped. Uh, yeah, I think the kids were prepped to know what to say when he said the island, because I wouldn't know what to say. And so one of the kids was just like, did you make her? And the, the host was like, <laughs> no, you're supposed to say Jamaica. And then whatever. Anyway. Wow. Speaking of tangents, that's mine. Yeah. Oh, and I also wrote down, oh, speaking of Chicago, we were talking about uh, Harold taking place in the city. Family Matters takes place in Chicago. Um and the kids who get run over by the car are wearing Bulls jerseys. So I looked it up because, you know, that was the, the dream team, the early 90s Bulls. And uh, one of the kids is number 23, which obviously is Michael Jordan. And the other kid is number 91. And I was like, who's number 91? Because I thought that could be, I don't know, Scottie Pippen, um, another basketball player from that time. <laughs> uh <laughs> But number 91 at that time was Dennis Rodman's number. Hmm. I, I don't remember if the kid had like crazy dyed hair or anything. 
Uh, you know how Dennis Rodman have... always had like snow cone flavor head. Yeah, he didn't have um crazy dyed hair. He had a little wig on that was like the platinum blonde look. I'm not a sports person by any means, but I don't know what little I know of Dennis Rodman. I'm like, oh, he and that's who I thought it was. But I was like, he was on the Bulls. <laughs> I thought he was on the different. I mean, I'm sure he was on a different blasphemy. Team. Uh, yeah. Good thing you're from Sorry. Florida. Well, yeah, we don't got much going for us here, basketball-wise. So that's my that'll be my excuse, and not that I was watching Great British Bake Off Junior. So speaking of little people, by the way, this episode mm-hmm. also has the distinction uh, that some of the has the same distinction as some of the Goosebumps episodes with Slappy and and, and other uh evil ventriloquist dummy television episodes and movies of look, I'm not I'm not gonna begrudge anybody from taking work where they can get it, uh and just making a living. But Having a dwarf actor portray a ventriloquist dummy, especially, is infinitely more frightening, usually, than the ventriloquist dummy itself. In the case of Stevel here, it is not only, I don't know if I'd say frightening, but it is very disquieting to see uh, a mix of incongruous incongruous shots being used some of them are close-ups of stevel the the actual dummy you know clacking away and talking there are a couple shots that i presume were done with some kind of green screen like you might have you, you might see sometimes used on um sesame street when they wanted to like have the character you know the muppet uh seen full body and of course you can't do that because they're being controlled by the puppeteers. Um, or to think of an older example, like um, Labyrinth with the crazy little firebird characters that take their body parts off and, you know, are jumping and singing around Jennifer Connelly. Uh, it's that kind of green screen where it's like, oh, you see it full body, but, you know, it's clear that there are things kind of going on behind the scenes. But then you also have, um, shall we say, real-time shots with Julia White as Urkel and other characters in the shot that have steve moving amongst them. And for those moving amongst them shots, it is clearly a dwarf actor. Did the episode that... How did you watch it? Uh, on what platform? HBO Max. Oh, me too. Okay. Um, the little, they have the little making of segment at the end. Uh, mm-hmm. And in that segment, they show like a child in the um, outfit, but I don't know if there was like also. I thought that it was actually the same actor who portrayed um, the young Grinch in the live action movie with Jim Carrey. All right, I looked it up. It's Josh Ryan Evans is the actor, the late Josh Ryan Evans, um, who played Stevel in uh, movement human form. 
Um, and he did play Jim Carrey's character in How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And he was also uh, Timmy on Passions, which is a show that I did not watch, but I like that was the only thing I heard about it was like, oh, there's like a living doll or whatever on this weird soap opera. And at the time that the episode filmed, if he was, if it was filmed the same year that it was released, then he was 14. Um, so we were both right. He had dwarfism. And also was a child. Man, that was a twist I did not see coming. I said to Eric before we started recording that this beautiful Halloween special was not the only time that Family Matters bestowed Stevel upon the world. They actually did it again the following year for season nine, the final season's Halloween episode, and it was called Stevel 2. Final season. Final season. You can keep talking over me. I'm just adding a little flavor underneath. Oh, thank you. I I needed the flavor. Uh, It was Stevel 2, colon, this time he's not alone. (laughs) And I feel like if it was going to be an accurate description of the episode, and it's shall we say, express purpose. It would have been more honest to say, Stevel 2, colon, but what if he danced this time? (laughs) Oh, there's more. Well, he did dance in the first episode. Oh, Uh, that's nothing compared to what happens in the second episode. Because we not only get the benefit of seeing Stevel get down with his bad self, um, the second episode... So um, we didn't mention this earlier, but as it turns out, the whole affair with Stevel in season eight's episode is that it's actually Steve Urkel's dream. He fell asleep wishing that his dummy could talk and he proceeded to have a Halloween nightmare uh, of what that would look like. And then there's a little quote unquote cute false ending uh, where he has another nightmare, and then he wakes up from that, and then everything's okay again. Well, they did something kind of interesting with the second one, because I guess they must have said to themselves, well, this steve character just knocked it out of the park last year with the ratings. We definitely want to bring him back. Uh, but how can we do that since we established that it was all in Steve Urkel's head? It was just a dream. And they didn't, and they didn't believe it or not, do anything cute at the end. You know, oh, Steve, or Steve, it was just a dream, and he walks off arm in arm with Eddie to enjoy a bowl of candy corn and some late night monster movies. Pan to Steve, and Steve gives the camera a knowing wink. No, nothing like that happened. Uh, it just, it just ends. You know, on Steve's totally docile, inanimate face. So, I guess the team had the. Pre- Production team had a little bit of a conundrum in that because they're like, well, we established that it was just a dream. How can we make a sequel to what just happened in somebody's head? Easy, said somebody, apparently. We will have the second episode also be a dream. Whose dream? Well, initially, it's Urkel's. He is still rattled by the events of the first episode now that uh, the Halloween, the next Halloween has come. He's rattled by the idea that 
Stevel will come back to get him, even though he chopped up all the all the dummy parts and blended them down to sawdust and flushed the sawdust down the toilet. Uh, but he has a dream again, just out of fear that Stevel has come back. He actually comes out of the toilet, a la Ghoulies. And boy, that just tells you everything you need to know right there. And quite a visual metaphor for the episode as a whole. Um, he really does, uh, steve the dummy, really does dig his heels into <laughs> uh, jumping on Slappy's bandwagon with the whole, Oh, I want your soul. Give me your soul. Wah, 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 wah. Uh, and he's got like the green glowing eyes and he's trying to suck the soul out of Urkel. Um, so Urkel has this terrible dream at the beginning of the episode. He tells Carl about it. Carl's like, you need to get over yourself. I had too much candy at my office party, my office Halloween party. I'm going to go take a little nap. And boy, wouldn't you know it? Carl gets infected with the dream, um, as, (laughs) And when Carl dreams about it, he dreams of getting his own dummy and his own likeness that mysteriously appears in the house. And in the dream, Carl and Steve basically become the Abbott and Costello surrogates facing off against these two dummies. steve brings the Carl dummy to life. What is the Carl dummy's name? Carl's bad. Great. A plus. So the remainder of the second episode is uh, Carl and Steve doing their Abbott and Costello shtick as they're running away from these two dummies, trying not to get their souls sucked out of them. The The whole motivation of the dummies for sucking the souls out of these two human characters is so that they can go on the road and have a successful career in show business. And, and the way that pans out is kind of strange because um, steve manages to suck Urkel's soul out of him. And what that results is not what you saw in the uh, Twilight Zone episode where the two literally switch places. The ventriloquist becomes dummified so that he now resembles a dummy and the dummy becomes human so that he is now the ventriloquist. That's what you would expect. That's not what happens, though. Steve the dummy just gets Urkel's voice uh and and his word you know in his words after he's done it you know Carl says something like well what why why did you know you, you suck Urkel's soul soul out but you're but you're evil and Steve retorts well yes but now that I have a soul I feel bad about it uh which Gang, let me tell you, this is this is an episode that's just rife with like really bad jokes, if you can even call them jokes. Like they just fall flat in ways that the ones from the f- the first evil episode, you know, at least they had a little bit of life to them. But here, it's you know, you hear the studio audience, and you're like, those people were either held captive, or I'm beginning to think that those aren't real people that are laughing in reaction to what's happening here in front of them, because. <laughs> None of this is registering as very funny. Uh, yeah, I did make a note on the first Stevel episode. Um, 
because most of the sitcoms I've been watching lately, like I've been watching Frasier, I watched an episode of Cheers, you know, like uh, good sitcoms. And usually the audiences on like sitcoms for adults are like, I wouldn't say reserved, but they're not that reactive. Like a joke will happen and they will laugh. I made a note, like going into family at matters reminded me of like that, that shows for kids, like all that saved by the bell era when like everything that anybody did gets some kind of like overwhelming reaction. Like, even if it's not funny, like somebody will just walk into frame and people will applaud or somebody will like make a reference to something that's current and people will be like, Ooh, you know? Oh, like I was just gonna, I was just gonna mention the woo. Um, yeah, Family Matters does that a lot. Yeah, so that uh, that was sort of an infuriating. I don't know if infuriating is the right word, but (laughs) I'm glad that uh, I feel like that's kind of gone away. Like the audience that is told to be like, can you be as loud as possible every single second so that we can pad out our you know, 18 minutes of story into a 25 minute full episode. (laughs) Exactly. So, so yeah, it's really strange. Like, so this is their ultimate goal is to just basically have the voice and attendant guilt of uh, the humans that they're victimizing. I I don't see what the end game is here. Um, But at any rate, their, their whole goal of going into show business uh, is what prompts the dance number in the second episode because steve uh, early on turns to Carlsbad and he says, hey, Carlsbad, what are you going to do once you have a human soul? And Carlsbad turns to steve and says, I'm going to go to Las Vegas, not Disney World like you would think, like I was hoping. Uh, he says, I'm going to go to Las Vegas, which is apparently steve cue to turn to the handily available stereo that's sitting on the couch and he presses the play button and we are treated to some library rap music and Stevel and Carlsbad proceed to get down with their bad selves and we are treated to Stevel doing the moonwalk and Carlsbad getting up on a table and shaking his hips like he don't just don't care and by this point, many of us are in that same frame of mind. We just don't care anymore. Life has no meaning. And if, I mean, if the image of Stevel's head bobbing out of the toilet wasn't already an apt visual metaphor for the episode, the dancing sequence definitely is. And that really made me think to myself, I cannot think of there ever being in the history and this is a grand statement and there are obviously things and examples that I I cannot know because my experience is not vast and infinite but I am still willing to stand by this just on the basis of the examples that I have seen I truly believe that there has never been an instance in a film or a television show where somebody on the production or creative team turned to somebody else and said, what if we have them dance and it ever turning out good? And by that, I specifically mean like 
non-adult characters. So anytime somebody turned and said, oh yeah, like when they were making like the freaking Super Babies movies, like, hey, you know what would be cool? What if they danced or anything involving animals? Hey, you know what we should have? We should have a moment where these animals dance. Or in this case, with animate dolls, it's like, hey, I have a great idea. What if they danced? Never in the history of filmed entertainment do I think that thought has ever translated into legitimately funny, entertaining, or worthwhile seconds of experience? What say you? Well, clearly you're forgetting about a little classic program known as Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. Every single character dancing on stage to Schroeder's little piano shredding is classy. I'm not talking animation. Oh, that was not specified. I'm, I'm okay. I thought I was being pretty specific. Clearly I left out animation. That is my fault. Well, maybe I wasn't listening. Yeah. No, uh, animation. No, cause you can make it look cute. You can do anything you want with it. And in the case of, you know, uh, Charlie Brown, all of those kids dancing are adorable, but Never, never, never has any kind of live action movie or TV show shown something dancing, a a non-adult thing, person, whatever, and it be cute or funny or I, I, I'm standing by this. I really am (laughs) because. Okay. So you're not a fan of uh, the Napoleon Dynamite sequence? Uh, I said non-adult because, you know, thinking of something like Fresh Prince. Doesn't that take place in high school or something? Whatever. You know he's an adult. Okay, come on. Come on now. (laughs) I'm talking. Jesus. I'm talking. Okay, Mr. Commandant. (laughs) Sorry, Gestapo. Yes, I am the dance police. Nobody who is not an actual adult should ever dance in a movie or TV show again. It is not cute. It is not endearing. I don't care what the studio audience is doing right now in reaction to this. They are liars. <laughs> there. I just want to prove you wrong now. Um, I know you do, but you're not I don't going even to. care about Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, <laughs> what about uh, the Truffle Shuffle in The Goonies? No? No good? No. God, no. Those are children. No. And they're not animated, so... No. Tell These are not secretly adults. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> You're just proving me right. I mean, <laughs> look, the thing is, the thing is, I agree with you, but I think there are a lot of people, you know, uh, and if this was a, Wik- a Wikipedia article, the little citation needed would come up above my head right now. But I believe that there are many people who would uh, take issue with it, with you saying this. I'm sure there is, but I am standing by my convictions here. Goonies never die, man, or whatever. Okay, I'm just going to be thinking about that no matter what else you talk about. Like, hmm, what about this? Well, guess what? That's pretty much... That was tasteful. That's pretty much all I have to say about Stevel 2, Electric Boogaloo. Oh, no. What's happening? Jose is falling over to reveal Slappy operating him like a dummy. Okay, whatever. Anyway. I'm invincible. (laughs) I couldn't pull what the 
what the Jose version of a Stevel would be. Ho- Jose-evil. Uh, maybe. Oh boy, now this I'm gonna be up hours. <laughs> um, but also we should say, uh, email us at Black Magic Treehouse Pod at gmail.com. Is that right? That is correct, and that's where you can reach us. <laughs> Follow our Instagram, yep. uh, Black Magic Treehouse Pod. pod. Yes, can't forget the okay. pod. I don't remember what has pod at the end and what doesn't. Both of those. Do. Um, we don't have a Twitter because Twitter doesn't exist anymore, and I don't care about it. R.I.P. Uh, no, <laughs> not really. Not even that. <laughs> All right. Good riddance, I say. In that case, there Um, you go. Do we have any other calls to action? Just reach out to us if uh, you are fans of either of these Halloween specials and you have your own memories that you want to share. Let us know of other uh, Halloween specials or memories that you have. And, um, you know, like we said, uh, after this point, we're going to be turning the focus back to books. So if you've got anything to share, any questions... Uh, of things that you've been trying to hunt down or uh, identify in the years since you were a horror-loving kid, reach out to us or just let us know what you think about the show, things that you want to see, because we love hearing from y'all. That's all I got. Okay. Uh, Yeah, me too. All right, great. So Let's end this episode with a real shrug. Yeah, a real shrug. Well, you know what? (laughs) That's that's, that's, that's all I got. Well, if for no other purpose than to just provide atmospherics, allow me to lift the flap of this little jack-o'-lantern that we've been using to light the treehouse and blow out the guttering candle inside and wish you all a happy Halloween. Bye. My dummy would be called Scarrick. I can't believe you did that after my beautiful closing. <laughs> well, I didn't think of it until then. God damn Go it. Go ahead and stop recording. Oh.